Looking back at the best of Saturday racing from around the country and examining the major talking points of the day. This is Pass the Post, brought to you by Archer Park Racing, taking racing ownership to the next level. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Pass the Post. It's Sunday, October 16. We're coming off the back of what will now be become one of the most outstanding days of racing in Australia when you have the running of the Everest and also the Caulfield Cup. Ben Dorries is with me, and it, it is becoming a special day, isn't it? Yeah, there's something for everyone, isn't there, David? And it just goes to show you can't have too much of a good thing. I um, penned a piece in this morning's uh, papers of Racenet saying basically I don't think there wouldn't have been one punter in Australia that would have woken up yesterday and thought, oh, I wish the Caulfield Cup wasn't on the same day as the Everest or vice versa. Mm. They're totally different races, totally different audiences, but it's something for everyone. Yeah, exactly right. I can remember, I think it may have well been either the first or the second Everest, and the races were off in Brisbane. And I was actually somewhere, but I was able to watch the races in Sydney at Ramwick and at Caulfield, but every 15 minutes there was, you know, a, a good a good race on. But I've got to say, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow, I do think... Royal Ramwick um, eclipses Caulfield in terms of the overall program. But the Caulfield, you've got the Caulfield Cup, but the other races, a bit ho-hum. Yeah. Nothing too exciting there. Yeah, I agree. And I thought the Caulfield Cup was probably one of the weaker Caulfield Cups I've I've seen. Well, I mean, time will be the judge of that, I guess, in the next few weeks if anything comes out of it and becomes a serious Melbourne Cup contender. But I suppose in Melbourne yesterday... There hadn't been a crowd on course for the Caulfield Cup since 2019. So, obviously, with the pandemic and whatever. So, it was great to see people back on track and enjoying themselves. And ditto for Royal Ramwick, of course. I think the crowd was just over 46,000. In fact, I think over the figure here, 46,221. I never know how they get it exactly <laughs> like that, but they do. But anyway, shy, just shy of 50,000 were to witness this uh, wonderful spectacle. It was a great sprinting race. It was a, it was a great finish. Here's the replay first up. They swing now, Eduardo and Nature Strip head and head up the rise and a thriller here on the Everest and Nature Strip given the cue by McDonald and the champ races to the lead by a length on Eduardo, private eyes running on, then came over past Shades of Rose, Giacomo and Giga Kick, Nature Strip a length in front, private eye, Giga Kick, Giga Kick down the outside wins the Everest, the unbeaten three-year-old's done it, Giga Kick beat private eye. Then Nature Strip, Jackano and Marzu for the back to overpass Kementari, Mars Crusader, Shades of Rose, Joyful Fortune, further back then to Ingratiating and Eduardo finished last. What a moment for Clayton Douglas, 27 years of age, only been training for a couple of years. Craig Williams, the faith he placed in this horse to go to ride it in the Everest, uh, paid wonderful dividends. And, of course, the other part of the equation is the successful slot holder. It was James Herron Bloodstock, and we're delighted that James Herron can join us this morning as our first guest on Pass the Post. James, good morning. Good morning. I was watching the replay a few times, and I don't think people realise the the actual extraordinary performance this horse has turned in. He probably ended up not on the right spot, but even, like, with 200 metres to go he was still four to five lengths off them. It's been a, been a wonderful performance. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it, it, I thought when he missed the kick um, and ended up sort of second last, and mm. I think rounding the turn, I just started thinking, oh, please, you know, please just don't run, you know, back in the field, but you know, try and try and run in the top six or, or, or something. And uh, just incredible to watch him. Pick up through the run and, and really, once he hit top gear, he, 
it's incredible how he mooted through the line and was, was really strong and going away from him at the end. James, I think this race showed me while, you, while your bank balance is full of zeros and mine is full of zeros in another way, as in zero, 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 I must admit, I'll put my hand up here, I gave that horse no chance in the Everest. I thought it should have started $210. I thought it was a wild swing at the stumps, you picking him, but yet again, you fit pay dirt. Take us through the process of picking this horse. Yeah, look, it's, you know, the three-year-olds have just performed very well and we, we sort of felt like, Nature Strip was was going to be very very difficult to beat, as did everybody. You know, he was his rating suggested was he was you know a long way ahead of that field. I think after Nature Strip, it was probably quite open. Um, we get, given the the pool of horses, we wanted something a bit left of centre, something that we we could potentially have some upside. Um, and the the three year old of the weight lines that they performed extremely well, horses. Um, you know, since its inception, um, you know, from Tulip right through to obviously yes, 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 through to um, through to these guys today, they, they all really did perform perform super. So, and that was a big deal for us getting that getting that three year old form. The fact that he's versatile and where he can be ridden, they they always thought he was going to be better ridden, um, a bit quieter. And of course, there was a strong feeling from the camp that. Uh, a heavy track, a good track, nothing would nothing would worry him. So you have to sort of um, tick off those boxes leading into this race. You've obviously got a high-pressure race. A horse that can just sit behind it was a good tick. Um, the weight allowance was a tick. And, of course, the versatility and ground was a major tick given, given the weather we've been having. Of course, it's well known that uh, you were the slot holder of Redzel winning the inaugural Everest, just let's drill down a bit further. From your point of view, uh, you know, it's 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 very high pressure to have one of these slots. Do you go into it each year uh, with a, a plan to, to choose early or to choose late? Because Giga Kick was one of the last... Well, you, you were one of the last uh, slot holders to, to choose a horse. Yeah, no, look, it, it really just comes down to um, circumstances sometimes. You know, there might be... You might see something that really catches your eye and you want to get involved quickly, you might not see that horse, you might feel like it's better to wait and try and learn more about um, what's unfolding with the lead-up runs. Um, the other thing is obviously, you know, we like to see if we've got any horses of our own that, that we think could potentially run in the race, so we, we always give that a bit of, you know, that probably gets precedence to the point where we say we, we either do or we don't. And, um, you know, hopefully that day comes soon enough where we can we can run one of our own courts in the race that so we just haven't had the right the right one at the right time. But um, you know, I think I think it's interesting. Like this year, I believe Giga Kick um, and Private Eye, obviously first and second, were were the last two selected mm. uh, into the race. And um, Kim and Ty was obviously a, an emergency, but. You know, it's 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 difficult. You, you know, you, there was a lot of people went early this year and looked like they'd pulled the right rein. And you know, it can just be luck of the draw. We all need a bit of luck in this game, as you know. And uh, timing can be everything. And um, look, we're just very, very fortunate to get a, a very good horse on the up. Um, we got given great confidence by Craig Williams, um, who who I spoke to in depth about the horse before we selected him and he was very adamant he'd be a top four chance in the race and I think given the makeup of the race that was enough for us to, to, to give him a chance and, and of course the wonderful story for 
for young Clayton Douglas, who's just done an amazing job of doors. Take us into the world a little bit of Clayton Douglas. I reckon you probably have only just met him, uh, I guess, in the lead-up to the week at various functions, but he seemed to um, really exude a, a quiet or maybe even not-so-quiet confidence. He was quite bullish, this horse was going to run extremely well, and, and I guess no one really listened to him, apart from you. No, he was. He, he, he's a um, just met just met Clayton um, through the week, so we, we we called in and had a had a, a look at Giga Kick on um, Wednesday morning, and and had a chat with Clayton because I thought it, I thought it was important. I sort of joked with Rocket Douglas. I, I sent him a message and said I better I better meet Clayton because it would be a bit awkward to meet him for the first time in the <laughs> in the winners room. But, uh, that was certainly tongue in cheek, let me tell you. And um, and met him, and you know, it was what was nice. You know, when you're putting a lot, a lot of money up and investing, and you're investing in Clayton, you're investing in the horse, and and he was just, you know, every one percent. He had the pony there with the horse, and he, he was riding him, he was taking him every year, he was giving him the absolute royal treatment, and um, that gives you a lot of confidence. And he was, he was Ben. He was very, very confident about the horse. Um, the, through the whole week, he said, "I can't. I don't think I can have him better. He feels brilliant." The big question was, you know, even at that point, where does that leave Giga Kick in terms of like his ratings? He's still got to run the rest of his life. He'd probably find six, seven lengths against these sprinters. So, um, and and he was able to do that. And and they were very, I think they they really were correct in in, the, in how much better the horse is ridden that bit quieter. So. Potentially missing the kick a bit and all those things that looked really uh, worrying in the beginning might have might have played into his hand even better. Yeah, he was a ninety rater going into the race. I think he was the the second lowest rater apart from Joyful Fortune. Just, uh, I think I think uh, you know you obviously feel very chuffed the choice you've made and it, 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 the dividend's been paid. It's it's been successful. Around that time, you chose Giga Kick. Say just before, not after. Was there any other horse you had in mind? Well, there's been numerous horses you're looking at. You're, I mean, you're having a lot of dialect with a lot of people. There was a lot of people frightened away by Nature Strip. That, there was, that was the resounding um, thing I would say this year. Um, a lot of horses that, that that didn't really even want to enter discussion um, just because they thought it was a foregone conclusion. So I think it's been a, a great thing for the rest to have a, a horse like Giga Kick win the rest and obviously Private Eye come in at, um, you know, I know he was well backed in the end, but he was sort of like a $15 shot all week. Giga Kick was a 20 to 1 pop. And, um, you know, I think the SP, average SP of the race over the last six years has been sort of just over $9. So mm. I think it'll help going forward um, that people will want to just have a crack. And, you know, every horse is beatable. And um, I think that's really important. But, you know, as we were leading into the Giga Kick decision, obviously the two horses that came out of Melbourne that day that were both, you know, contenders for the Everest were Private Eye and Giga Kick. So mm. it, it was, uh, I would have probably been a little bit um, fetal position style for about a week if Private Eye had a bag, got <laughs> over the top of Giga Kick the other way around. But, you know, hats off to those guys. They've got a fantastic horse that, that's in an absolute incredible form. So, um, well done to Jamie Walter and, and Joe Pride and those guys. He ran a terrific race. And strangely enough, you've got a horse called Cannonball, which was quite unlucky against uh, Giga Kick in the Dane Hill. Got beaten a length and a half, but uh, should have finished a lot closer. That's uh, quite quick, isn't it? I'm assuming Cannonball will be going to the Coolmore? 
Yeah, look, it was it was a it was a he ran a super race. Um, he needs really good ground and um, sort of not by design ended up. Mark got quite far back on him in Caulfield and and he flew home and Mark dropped his whip and he sort of got off and he said, look, that is definitely the way to ride him. Um, and he sort of, you know, uh, apologised for obviously dropping his whip. He thought he probably could have won. And we we just thought we'd drive on to the downhill and the dry track and just see see where we sat amongst them and, and, and rode him quietly. And Brett Preble rode him and he's only sat on him twice for a listed win and a, and a third in the downhill. And he thought, he thought with a few a bit of luck he would have been very close. So um, that was really pleasing. Then hopefully we can get a dry track and he'll um, he'll go to the Coolmore and, and Brett Preble will partner up with him again. And, and the form's looking quite good now at this stage. I'm just doing that. See where Giga kick ends up now. We're going to have a chat with Peter Volandis very shortly. He's he's on the line. But just before you go, James, I'm sure one thing you would would have watched in the replay apart from Giga kick was. Jackano's run because a bit's happened there over the last 48 to 72 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we were involved in um, working with the owners in, in, in selling Jackano, and the wooden stud picked him up. And uh, look, I thought he ran terrific. It was a super run. Um, I think they've got a fantastic horse on their hands, and he's going to have a very bright future. So it's it's really uh, starting to look like it could be a fantastic addition of the Kuma. Exactly. Congratulations. Wonderful choice. Wonderful result. Thanks for being with us this morning. Many thanks, guys. Appreciate it. James Heron from James Heron Bloodstock. Let's have a chat now with Peter Valandis, the racing CEO of Racing New South Wales. Peter, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ben. What about... It's there for all to see yesterday. Nearly 50,000 people. The atmosphere was just unbelievable, whether you were there or not. But this race, I think yesterday showed clearly... That and I've used this term before, but I use it in a complimentary way. It's a disruptive. It's a disruptor. The Everest because what it does, it's so powerful now. It just says you're coming with us. Giga Kick could have just gone to the Coolmore, for example. Jack Widow could have gone to the Caulfield Guineas, but this race has become so powerful, it drags horses into it, and I think that's a, a great result. No, I, I couldn't have summarised it better, uh, David. I think you're on the mark. It's it's a new event. It's always designed for the younger demographic, and they really embraced it. The majority of the crowd there yesterday were under the age of 30, and uh, as racing administrators, we've got to look towards the next generation. We need a charismatic race. We need one that's bold and vibrant and disrupts, and that's what the youth of today look for, and we've provided it in the Everest, and um, it will only get bigger from here, and we'll certainly look to increase the prize money to to make it that standout event. How did you feel, Peter, about a Victorian horse, a Victorian trainer, and a Victorian jockey winning your race? Oh, they were good. I mean, we'll talk competition. As I said, look, we believe in competition. We've got nothing against Victoria, but they just don't like competition, and, and competition lifts everybody. You, you do things better. If, if you've got a a good sports radio on the, uh, against you, you, you'll lift your performance. And that's exactly uh, what the racing industry has done. You know, Victoria's lifted its performance because of New South Wales. We were always the poor cousins. Now that we have been able to generate new revenues, uh, we, we can compete. And I use the analogy that uh, if you're a florist, you open, up, you open on Valentine's Day. If you're a chocolatier, you open during Easter. So... For racing, spring is the prime period. It's free of the AFL, free of the NRL, 
and that's when we should be placing our races to maximise our revenues. And, and just from a personal point of view, and I, I can't understand how some people don't get this, but I think it's, it's worth commenting on that at the end of the day, your wage is paid by Racing New South Wales. And so you've got to do everything in the best interest for Racing New South Wales. It, it, it's, to me, it seems it just makes simple, simple sense. Absolutely. My, uh, in the statute of Racing New South Wales, it requires the CEO to act in the best interests of racing in New South Wales, and that's exactly what I do. But ironically, you know, us getting an event like the Everest that's, that's um, attracting the younger generation has benefits to all states in Australia because they become future customers of their big races. And if we didn't do it and we don't get that young generation through, the, the whole industry um, fails. So, you know, we should, all states should look at how to attract that younger generation and bring in new races. I see the Gold Coast up there have done that with the, with the Wave race, and I compliment them on it. You've got to be innovative. People aren't... People live too much on tradition and think that, you know, they will come. They won't come because the generational tastes change. What their parents do, the kids don't want to do. So you've got to give them something that's different um, because once their parents uh, leave and you you rely on tradition, you, you won't have anyone. Do you think there's the potential, Peter, to, to push back, whether it's you know, New South Wales or Australian racing in general, some of the bigger and better races or, or, or some new races sort of later in November, even early December? Because it seems to me, uh, you know, there's a really clear air there, isn't there? Not, no footy, the cricket hasn't really kicked in. Is, is there potential for that, do you think? Look, there is potential, but then, but then you have to reprogram the trainers because the trainers have to then adapt to a, a different uh, time of the year for their horses. They Look, they're set in their ways and... Um, look, we put on the Hunter and the Gong later in November, and they've been exceptionally successful in those areas. And again, they've been attracting a younger generational crowd um, and promoting that particular area. And we're taking the, the main race meeting to that area um, on that Saturday. And that's been very successful. I, look, I think in the future we've got to look at it, but um, everyone has to do it because, unfortunately, the horses are trained for a specific period. I read a report in, I think it was the Sydney Morning Herald late last week. They said, uh, it was reported that the Victorians said you can have Group 1 for the Everest as long as you stop putting up new races. Is there any truth to that? Look, there's an element of truth to that, that they did say that. Look, they wanted to stop us from putting on any additional races. And look, I can understand where they're coming from. They've traditionally had a monopoly on, on spring and... They've made much revenue uh, in that period. But, um, but as I said, I have to look after New South Wales. And I, I think some of our races actually complement their races. And, and look, I think the last day at Flemington this year is a great initiative by the VRC. They've really lifted. They've got three or four, three million dollar races. Um, you know, the Cox Plates prize money has gone up significantly. Competition lifts everybody. And they shouldn't be afraid of it. And you shouldn't use regulatory things to blackmail someone if you know if you're good enough to be a group one you should be a group one if you're not good enough don't be but you can't have the sydney stakes as a group three race having a higher grade than the everest it it makes a farce of australian racing you shouldn't use regulation or um to put the commercial will on someone um and that's unfortunate what's happened and it makes a farce of australian racing 
On a lighter note, Peter, what was your personal highlight of Everest Week? I mean, obviously, the easy thing to say is the race itself, but you're involved in a lot of things. You're on the boat the other night with the drones up in the sky, you know, a lot of functions. Is there a, uh, you know, a quiet moment behind the scenes or, or something you really, you know, hold close to your heart with Everest Week? Look, I, I think, you know, we're a team at Racing New South Wales and we've got some very, very good staff. And I guess the highlight for me is when we heard there was a record crowd, we all high-fived because, you know, they put a lot of hard work into it and... You know, they have the biggest crowd in 50 years. I just saw the smile on their faces, and that's what makes uh, me going. It, it's to see those younger younger staff and managers, and we've got some very good staff. But also the drone show, I've never seen anything like it. It's um, It took the Everest to another level. It went, you know, that drone show went right around the world, and you had, being live at it um, was unbelievable because you just saw these drones take off, and all of a sudden there's a massive... 200 metre or even bigger logo uh, in the sky, you know, overlooking the, the the skyline of Sydney and the harbour and the Opera House. You couldn't promote Sydney better, and the technology was just amazing. I've, I've just never seen anything like it, and it's unfortunately set a new standard. We have to find something <laughs> even bigger and brighter next year. That's the only problem we've got now. <laughs> you, you made a point before about the the effect of, of the the Tab Everest on the rest of Australia, and the other factor is, too, like I was calling it Eagle Farm yesterday, the BRC, they're a beneficiary of it. They're getting bigger crowds than they normally had at this time of year because they can enjoy the spectacle of the, the Tab Everest. They can enjoy the Caulfield Cup on, on the big screen there. Their crowds are up. I know the crowds are up at Morfordville as well. So it, there's a, a great spin-off to these, these great race days. Look, the club that's really embraced it, and I compliment them for it, is the Melbourne Racing Club. Mm. Uh, Josh Blansky and his team... And rather than trying to fight it, they embraced it. And what it's done is actually given them a major day. The Caulfield Cup was, you know, needed some help at, at a point because they were even looking at making it a wait-for-age race where there was a debate going on. So, And, look, they've embraced it. They've worked with us. They even took a slot at one year, and they've benefited from it. Their turnovers have gone up dramatically. Their crowds have gone up dramatically, and it's made a, you know, a major race day. Um right around Australia, and that's great. And, that, you know, and I just hope that everyone's promoting it to that younger generation. Just before you go, last question, and you, you may have mentioned this a little earlier, it was $15 million the Tab Everest yesterday. Will it be more next year? Look, our aim has always been to, to make it $20 million. Mm. And so whatever prize money increase, it won't be a million or $2 million. It'll, it'll be a massive increase. And we're going to look at the ways we can do that. We, you know, we said we'd put all the revenues that we generate from the Everest back in the Everest to... And look, the Everest has been um, beneficial for a whole 12 months in New South Wales racing. Our revenues have gone up dramatically because we've kept our horses in New South Wales in spring, but more importantly, we've kept our punters betting on our products for the whole 12 months. Mm. And it's just the Everest has been a platform for improvement right right 12 months around. So we we need to keep um, growing the Everest and because it has 12 months worth of benefits. Great point. Appreciate your time this morning, Peter. Thanks for talking to us. My pleasure, fellas. Peter Volandis, the CEO of Racing New South Wales, and makes a lot of interesting and very sensible statements. Yeah, and you know what? He's actually, um, if you don't know him, he's actually a bit of a man of the people. When I contacted him earlier to get on this show, he said, he said, you know what I'm doing at the moment, Ben? He said, I'm wandering around Bunnings trying to find, find some gardening utensils. So, look, uh, he's very, very much, I think, connected to the punter and what punters want. Um, and really, um, 
that's what makes racing go around. We talk about jockeys and owners and all sorts of things, but without punters, racing's got nothing. Um, and you've got to engage the next generation of punters. I mean, there's, you know, the, the 40, 50, 60, 70-year-olds, they're not going to be around forever. You need to get the new generation, don't you? He, he talks common sense. Uh, he's not afraid to say what he, what he says. And he's a bit like the Tab Everest. He's a disruptor as well. But I say that. But I say that. I've known him a long time. I say that in, in a good way because he's prepared to do things that others would think about or talk about and say, oh, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that. He doesn't. Or he, he, he says he's going to do it and he, and he achieves it. So uh, it's on the board there. Just before we go off the, the, the Tab Everest, uh, the race itself, Giga Kick was an extraordinary performance, an outstanding performance, and he's the, the new star on the horizon. Um, Nature Strip. He had to travel outside of Eduardo and Joyful Fortune, but that was sort of half anticipated. But, you know, when you're carrying 58 and a half and a, on a horse like Geeky with 53, five and a half kilos difference, he was just found wanting the last part. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, like, I've read stuff about Nash Trip being brave and all sorts of things. I thought if he was in the form he's been in, he, he, you know, the run wouldn't have mattered. He just would have won. So I thought, to be honest, I thought he was a bit disappointing. Private Eye was enormous. Uh, I think if the track was good rather than soft, Private Eye arguably wins. Marzu, well, we haven't he got a future. Jack and I, I think, was good. Probably the disappointments. Mars Crusader just slow, slow out of the start. I mean, he, look, he's always he's always slow. He was always going to be back last. But when you're sort of back way last in an Everest, it was just you know too much ground to make up. And Eduardo. Beaten nine lengths. Well, that was the worst run he's ever turned in. Uh, he was in that that speed deal with Nature Strip and Joyful Fortune, but yeah, the the margin is quite telling, isn't it? And I think it also leads to a broader point out of yesterday, and I think this is a good thing as well. the The older brigade they can't keep going. There's got to be a time where it, when, it, when when the curtains come down, and look at the result: Giga Kick, three year old, uh, Marzu, on the stage for the first time this year. Jack Winnow not too far away. So I think it shows that the new uh, mm. group are coming and, in. And it should be pointed out too, Giga Kick's a gelding. So mm. he's not going anywhere. Well, I wouldn't have thought he's going anywhere. I mean, we saw Yes, Yes, Yes win and go off to stud and a lot of these, you know, Jack and O's got the stud deal and, um, you know, so, yeah, the world is really Giga Kick's oyster. Once the dust has settled, it will be interesting to see if he, he goes to the cool ball because, as you say, um, well, I suppose, why wouldn't if he if he's hit 15 healthy? He'd start short, wouldn't he? <laughs> well, he would. I think he's three dollars fifty at the moment on, on tab fix, but that was the that was the, the Everest, uh, an outstanding spectacle as well. We'll come back to the other features from Royal Randwick a little later in the program, but now let's turn our attention to the biggie at Caulfield, the Cup, and Smoking Romans was the favourite. Here are the runs now at the 500 metres. Knight's Order, New Marion, Nonconformist made a line of three. Smoke and Romans needs a run. Inspirational girl behind them. Then Vow and Declare, no compromise. Further back, Great House and Crystal Pegasus. Knight's Order as they straighten at the 300 metres from New Marion, Nonconformist. Smoke and Romans darting back to the inside and Gold Trip is now chiming in very strongly at the 200. Gold Trip up to New Marion, Knight's Order. And then came Durston getting out. Gold Trip. 100 metres to go just in front. Durston is coming at Gold Trip and got up. Durston has got up to win it for Mickey D from Gold Trip. Photo third. Numerian or Knight's Order. Vow and Declare behind them and Montefilia wider. Behind those horses then sound an inspirational girl. Trelero's nonconformist. Crystal Pegasus back in the field. Allegron in company with Jewess Chapada. Benno never sighted. No compromise. Pulls up quickly. And at the end of the field is great house.
Well, from an owner's point of view, these are moments to savour. Not only a Group 1, but a Group 1 right at the top level of the Caulfield Cup. Andrew Hawkins is one of the part owners of Durston. He's our next guest here on Pass the Post. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, David. Great to be with you. And thanks for joining us. Tell us the background to you becoming involved with this horse. There's a lot of heavy hitters of this horse, Durston. Yeah, there are. So I was lucky enough to uh, be the racing manager for High Clear Australia and uh, still am in that capacity um, as well. But uh, Durston's a horse who we've always had a lot of time for and he was a, a horse who I fell in love with straight away and, and so had to, had to become involved and um, so glad that I did. Um, and, and not just because obviously now he's a, he's a Caulfield Cup winner, but he's just a, a horse that, that really finds his way into your heart. He's just a, an amazing little horse. He's, there's not much of him, um, but he, he stretches out. We saw it there yesterday. Uh, he gets that, that uh, uh, low action. He, he, he gets right into it and uh, tries his heart out. And uh, what a result yesterday. Everything had to fall into place, didn't it, Hawk? You had to get a start in the first place, which would have been a nervous wait. And then I'm assuming the improving track helped your prospects as well. It did. Um, to be frank, uh, we'd, we'd actually discussed on Friday whether we scratched Durston. Um, uh, we, were, we were very closely considering scratching him, even if he gained a start, because it was looking like Maximal was going to come out. Um, we, we'd heard that Maximal would come out essentially no matter what. Uh, they wanted to wait that week and hope that he might get onto a, an improving track in, in the Cox Plate. Um, and, and so we were considering the, the prospect of, OK, we gain a start, but, but do we scratch? Because uh, the thing is with Durston, um, he, he just, he, his wheels spun in the Metropolitan on a heavy track um, and we just didn't know how shifty the ground would be. Um, you know, obviously they had a lot of rain in Melbourne. We've seen those pictures of flooding, uh, the, the, the Maribyrnong flooding badly. I know Corker's on the other side of town, but it still received a, a lot of rain. Uh, and so the, there was there was a discussion: Do we scratch him and do we take him out and and, and wait for Geelong on Wednesday and, and hope that it improves? But uh, look, uh, we left it to Chris. Um, Chris ummed and ahed about it. Um, I think the the deciding factor of anything was that uh, if he scratched, having gained a run, he would have lost the the acceptance fee, which is thirty seven thousand five hundred dollars. Um, and so Chris was of the mind, well, look, why, we, we may as well not not waste that money. Give him a run. Hope he has a good run leading into the Melbourne Cup. Um, but obviously it's uh, turned out to be much better than that. He'd won the Wyong and the Newcastle Cups. He, he'd, sh- he'd shown his ability, he'd advertised his ability. I think the other feature of this race, Andrew, is the ride. Um, and, and I don't think it's too large a statement to say the ride may have won the race because Michael D had this horse about 11th near the fence and it was pretty obvious the going near the inside, uh, particularly the home straight, was, was inferior but he just started to navigate that path from the 600, just shifting out, shifting out, shifting out, and then presented at precisely the right time. Absolutely. It was inch perfect. Uh, we'd, we'd been sort of wargaming uh, what would happen uh, during the race, and, and both of our horses in there, we had Great House as well, and, and um, both had drawn well, and we were thinking, OK, that the, the likelihood is both will end up down on the fence. We know that it's going to be inferior down there, um, especially once, once they turn for home. Um, we were hoping that there might be the opportunity to get off the fence, but knowing how they pack up in a Caulfield Cup, uh, we knew that you know, the, the opportunity for that was going to be slim and it was going to be a case of taking the, taking the gaps when they appeared. And to say that uh, Michael D rode, rode inch perfect, um, you, you almost uh, can't come up with enough superlatives to describe yeah. the ride. Um, it, was, it was a phenomenal ride. 
Um, and, and I'm so happy for him because he's been riding in terrific form. Uh, we've, we've seen him ride uh, Luna Flair, obviously, to win the Bart Cummings. And uh, I know he's committed to Luna Flair at the moment in the Melbourne Cup, but we'll see whether, whether <laughs> if there's any desire to jump onto, onto to Durston for the Cup. But, uh, look, uh, he's riding in tremendous form, and, and that was just uh, the, the ride of a, of a man in, uh, who, who's just riding with tremendous confidence at the moment. And last one from me, Hawkeye. I think people who know you or follow you on Twitter know you're... Um uh, racing train spotter might sound a bit harsh, but you, you absolutely are aficionado and you do get emotional. Uh, there was a video of you that I think you posted on Twitter last night just going absolutely bananas. And then I think you said you're also in tears for most of the night. So just run, run us through your emotions. Yeah, it, it, it's something that I, I've never experienced. And, and look, if I'm ever lucky to experience it again, um, I'll, be, I'll be a very lucky man. Um, it's, look, racing is my life. Racing racing's been a passion for so many years, and and um, you know I live and breathe it like like so many of us do. And um, yeah, the, the the prospect of of having a horse that that could potentially even just compete in these races is is um, undeniable. Like you know, that, that's it's a, it's an incredible feeling in itself. But to, to see him loom up, and and the thing is with this horse, he's he's had such a, a checkered journey. Um, he's had. He's had a number of injuries. Um, he, he actually came to Australia with a tendon injury. Um, he suffered a tendon injury at Royal Ascot in 2020. Um, they brought him down here to rehab. Um, he suffered a couple of suspensory issues. Um, one as a three-year-old in the UK, one uh, last year, um, in, in October last year, after he won at Caulfield. And so the, the idea that he'd ever come back um, and, and perform at a high level, you, you always hope, but you, you never quite know whether they'll, they'll come back. And um, he's managed to stay sound this preparation, um, and, and we've seen seen him flourish. And uh, I think just just knowing that journey that he's been on, um, as I say, he's a, he's the kind of horse. He's, he's got an incredible personality. Uh, anyone who has anything to do with him falls in love with him. Um, he's quite quirky, but he's just a he's just an, an absolute uh, treasure of a horse. Um, you know, I was speaking to the breeder when I was over at the Ark a couple of weeks ago, and the breeder won the Ark with Alpinista. And I spoke to Kirsten uh, Rousing about him, and she said yeah, ever since he was a foal, he was just that sort of a horse that would just capture your imagination. And and I think that's that's the that's why I was so emotional because he's a horse who is very close to my heart, um, very close to the hearts of of all his, of his owners. Um, and and to see he, to know what he's gone through, and to to see him come out and, and win like that, uh, words can't describe just what it meant to see that. Must be a good feeling in the afterglow of a Caulfield Cup. You know, there's another Cup in two weeks' time. And uh, I must admit, David, I'm a, I, the Melbourne Cup's the race that got me into racing. I don't come from a racing background. The Melbourne Cup is that race that, that I first started watching yeah, as a kid and, and, and it, it got me on the path to working in racing. So the idea of, of having a horse that at the moment is probably the leading local contender for the, for the Melbourne Cup is very exciting. Um, I mean, look, he's going to get a penalty. Um, he's going to meet uh, horses like Gold Trip worse at the weights, Knight's Order worse at the weights. But the other thing too is he, he's unexposed at that sort of a trip. Um, the way he drops, the, drops his head these days um, and, and relaxes in the run and then can sprint at the end of, of a staying race, um, I'm very excited to see what he can do at Flemington when, given the chance to wind up and, and hopefully uh, finish off strongly. And the market agrees with you too because on tab fixed he is the uh, third favourite at $15 behind Dover Legend and also love. Thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your insight and uh, congratulations on what must have been a great day for you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Andrew Hawkins, part owner of Durston and Caulfield Cup form is generally considered good form for a Melbourne Cup and 
as he said, he settles well, and uh, it was a it was an outstanding ride, but it was a very good win as well. I know he had the light weight, but the Caulfield Cup yesterday wasn't run at a, a breakneck speed. Far from it. They only really started to dial it up from about the thousand metres, but. He's given them a good start and given them a beating. Gold Trip's run was good as well, understandably, with a big weight. Yeah, I reckon there was a few cracking runs in there. Monophilia. <coughs> um, wow, we uh, stopped as they shot behind horses in the straight, picked up and absolutely flew late. I thought Van de Clare finishing sixth and qualifying for the Melbourne mm. Cup. He had the re-qualified to finish in the top eight. On a track he, you know, probably crabbed around the bend and it was a soft track. Uh, and was wide all the way. I thought it was terrific. I've got a bit of news there too on Van de Clare. Blake Shin has been booked to ride Van de Clare, um, trying to become the only the six horse, I think, to win multiple Melbourne Cups. And I thought Jewess was really good too. Um, maybe just ran out of steam a little bit at the end, but l- launched launched late. And it looks like there's something, up, you know, something, something cooking there from a Melbourne Cup point of view. Having said that, I must admit, I watched that race and I thought none of these internationals that are at the top of the market for the Melbourne Cup, Doville, Legend, Loft, Kimura, I don't think they'd be shaking in their boots. I thought it was a good Caulfield Cup without anything jumping out and saying, I must back this in the Melbourne Cup. I think that's, that's a fair comment. Smoke and Romans had a good run for the major part of the race. All of a sudden, when the, the dynamics started to change and the runs were coming, I think she, she Jamie Carr, got pushed back to a spot she didn't want to be in. But in saying that, even allowing for that, the horse lacked any um, um, impetus in the home straight. We might take a break now on, on past the post because we've still got plenty to get through with the highlights from Royal Ramwick, Caulfield and also Eagle Farm. That's coming up after the break. This is Past the Post, brought to you by Archer Park Racing, taking racing ownership to the next level. Archer Park Racing present Past the Post each Sunday. Go to their website, archerparkracing.com.au. All of the information on horses available and what's happening, and of course, Time goes so fast, but we look at the yearling sales soon in January. Anyway, thanks to Archer Park for their support each and every Sunday. Let's go back to some of the highlights at Royal Randwick yesterday. One of the great lead-ups to the, the Tab Everest was the Kosciuszko, the $2 million Kosciuszko, and here's the replay. Up the rise now and front page is the leader by a length on Lamelody. Arcado working into the clear. Far too easy, found the gap and starting to power to the line. Front page at the 200, leads by two lengths. Far too easy's giving chase. Front page a length and a half to Far too easy. Then Fender the outside. Front page in front from Far too easy. He keeps going. Front page and he's the headlock, headline act this year. Front page wins the Kosciuszko, beat far too easy. Fender third, I think, in front of Cavalier, Charles and Art Cadeau. Then came Spiranak late from Anathol, Handle the Truth. Lamelody next from Testator, Salend. Another one, Nemeth. And Commando Hunt always towards the rear. Jeff Duray is based at Corowa. Tyler Schiller was celebrating his 24th birthday. They teamed up, and this was a win well justified because he'd been ready for it twice before uh, this was the third go but this time he got to the post and uh, his class came through, he's a very smart horse front page but he's only had what 14 starts after yesterday. Yeah absolutely and he had to sort of do it the hard way, like he mm. did it you know, took all, you know in, in front they had their chance to run him down um, but yeah look I mean I suppose the race changed a little bit in the lead up didn't it when It's Me came out I mean It's Me would have been one of the leading contenders but, look, uh, he beat everything fair and square. I thought the runner-up runner, runner up, uh, with Jimmy Allman on board far too easy was terrific. Was taking significant strides off late. It was a great ride, I thought, by Jimmy Allman. Just going to going to Sydney and, and just picking up probably 20 grand or something for his, for his travels for, for, you know, running second in that race. It's, um, yeah, it's funny. We were on the same plane to Sydney on Wednesday night after the races and... Uh, 
He told me how he was going to ride it. It exactly panned out that way. He said, you've got to let this horse, you don't bustle him early, let him settle. And he said, if I can, you know, present at the right time. And I was watching it at Eagle Farm yesterday. I said, you've got to win this. And just wasn't quite good enough. And, and, and ran into a smart horse too, front page. But the good thing about Far Too Easy, he's a damn good horse as well. Absolutely. You know where Jimmy Orman's going to end up? I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll have a bet with you. I, I think in the next five years, he'll end up riding in Hong Kong. There you go. You reckon? Yep. He's that good. 400,000 per second for the the connections are far too easy, but uh, a very good run. Let's go to the Silver Eagle, which was transferred from the washed-out meeting last Saturday. 350 metres to run. Mr Mozart trying to beat off Lavish Gill. Coteal along the fence. Wider out. Valana starting to lengthen. Well on the outside of Global Osbred. And two for the back to Brigatine. Valana wide out. Moved up. And Valana takes the lead. Drifting right in across the track. But Valana's well clearing the Silver Eagle. And drawing away for an emphatic victory. Mr Mozart holds down second. Photo third. The roughy Global Osbred. And Brigatine kiss some winding up at the end. Followed then by... By Coteal and Ranch Hand. They boot off Lavish Girl. Further back to Waterford from Lock Eagle. Then Flying Crazy. Morris is me dad. Ton of Grit and Star Tontes. Well, the, the Godolphin team actually uh, made mention of the fact that the, the trip to, to Brisbane for the winter um, was a good thing for Valana. Of course, he won the Fred Best and uh, wasn't far away in the Stradbroke. First up there yesterday and only having his eighth start, that was his fifth win. He's now $8 in the Golden Eagle in a fortnight's time behind Hinged and Light Infantry at $6. She had a good turn of speed there to win. Yeah, wasn't that really in doubt. If you back that horse, it was just like it was fired out of a cannon in the last few hundred metres. It was a terrific win. Would be right in the Golden Eagle, obviously, on that. Uh, not sure what to make of the, the beaten brigade. Mr Mozart did the Mr Mozart thing in front and ran well. The big disappointment of the race, I thought, was Startante's second last. Yeah. Um, she was a mile off him, like she always is, but really didn't find much. So perhaps she's come to the end of it. I haven't spoken to Royal Peascott, but I know that there was a thought that they would assess how she was going before. You know, the Golden Eagle wasn't necessarily locked in. So, look, you would say on that she wouldn't be contesting a Golden Eagle. No, the, the, the disappointing feature of her performance was generally, uh, you know, her best work is late, but there was no work late there yesterday. She merely sort of held her ground but was beaten a fair margin. So by all uh, all ways of looking at it, she raced well below par. Let's go to our final highlight from Royal Rambic yesterday. There were plenty of them, but we can't play all of them. Let's have a listen to the, the Group 3 Sydney Stakes. They straighten for the run home now. Prime candidate on the inside of In the Congo. Remark lost a length and a half there. Followed by Beona Smart. One Apache Chase not doing enough. In the Congo going strongly. 200 metres to run in the Congo. A length clear. Rocketing by is running home well on the inside. In the Congo from Beona Smart. One rocketing by along the rails. In the Congo rocketing by lunges. Got up. Rocketing by. Knocked off in the Congo. Beona Smart one third in front of Way Ha Ha Falls. Then came Brutality from Swats That. Uh, remark just behind them with Tycoonist, followed by Gem Song Riadini from Bandapur, Irish Songs, further back to Soldier of Love, Shelby 66, and Blondeau. Rocketing Buy's only been going moderately. That was his fifth run this campaign, but he actually stood up and showed what he can do when he's on song. He's got that good finish, but he... Not most out of the ballpark. He was big odds. Yeah, the only good thing about his win was it wasn't one of the quarter legs on most people, <laughs> I reckon. So, um, look, you know, he, he's not a bad horse. I think he won the, that $1 million English race um, last year or a couple of years ago or whenever it was. Um, 
But look, I suppose it was a significant victory for David Pfeiffer as well. Um, as last year he was disqualified for nine months, mm. didn't train for nine months over a urine sample uh, substitution issue. So it was a big day, big moment for him. Queensland had a dual representation here. We own a smart one and also Apache Chase. Peter from Tingalpa, Ride City, said the ride of Kyle Wilson-Taylor. Winning barriers before race six were one, two, five, three and four. All rails runs. KWT doesn't take the rails run. Rachel King does. It gets up at $61. I think there's a bit of legitimacy in that comment because he just seemed to be wanting to get to the outside and Rocketing by just took the run where he could have gone. But apart from all of that, his run was very good. We had a smart one. Apache Chase was under pressure a fair way out. The funny part was he was going as well on the line, or probably better than anything on the line. He didn't lose any ground on the run of the line. Yeah, I reckon Apache Chase just needs a firm track maybe. That was a soft six. I mean, it wasn't a particularly rain-affected track, but I just don't think he's at his most dynamic on the soft. Uh, yeah, not sure about Wilson Taylor's ride. I, I didn't mind it. I don't think he sort of lost himself the race or anything. Uh, but we own a smart one. Uh, terrific placement by David Van Dyke. This came out of the, totally out of the blue, this race, for we own a smart one. And uh, let me see, the third $195,000 prize money we own a smart one's picked up. It's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And you don't really, uh, until you look at these things, like you see far too easy he's earned 400000 for not winning. Yeah, for, it's amazing. For running it? second, you yeah. know, it, it, it is. There was a black booker in this race. There's so many options for these horses to, to run for big prize money races. I don't know where brutality is going, but he drew the car park. Stone Motherless last in an 18-horse field. He's been beaten just uh, probably at a length and a half. It was an outstanding run, second up by brutality. If Joe Pry would have been delighted with that run. Swats that can go away forever. It can just Do get like in the ocean. Okay. No, go away, Swats that. Bye-bye. Let's go to Caulfield. We're saying bye-bye to Royal Rambling. Now we're going to Caulfield and let's go to the replay of the Tristark. And we had Queensland representation here with Palaia Pen. Pride of Jenny, 300 metres to go, coming back to them. Led a length and a half, chain of lightning down the middle of the course is running on hard. Then flying mascot, Paliza Pan and Paul's Regret. Chain of lightning at the 150, strikes the front and chain of lightning is coming clear. A big clap across Caulfield. Chain of lightning is going to win it well. Paliza Pan second, Pride of Jenny third from Paul's Regret. And then Exolita, Cliff Sart, Mirror Vision, Argenti, a fortunate kiss in a line. Kiss on all four cheeks, knocking up was flying mascot and then rock o'clock well back Papali and at the end of the field Miss Cartier Well Chain of Lightning's only suffered defeat once in its career and that was her most recent start, it was back what about a month ago in the How Now before that she was unbeaten but she was back in the winners list yesterday for Moody and Nolan so that's now 6 from 7 It's interesting isn't it, um, betting ahead of time, I mean a lot of people assume this would be maybe a, a heavy track or you know significantly rain affected just before this race the track was upgraded to a soft 6 which I think gave Chain of Lightning the chance. I think if you were having a bet on race morning or, or the day before, you wouldn't have backed Joan of Lightning because you were assuming it was going to be heavy. Palaia Pam was courageous again. I mean, I'm looking at her record. She won the Dane Ripper. She ran third in the Tats Tiara, had the break. She ran third in the Chiraco, second in the Golden Pendant, and there second in the Tristark. Wonderful record for this bear. The question I ask is, why is it the day I backed her at Doombin in a midweek? She ran fifth. <laughs> In a benchmark 85. Well, the runner's there, fifth of 11. And then not, all of a sudden, one, three, three, two, two. Not that you're holding a grudge, are Not at all. Not Barrier at all. one yesterday, too, wasn't the place to be for player pen. Yeah, well, and, and I think it was quite clear as the day moved on, but certainly even early in the day, that uh, the going was better centre and out wide. It was pretty, pretty um, obvious there. Okay, let's go to the sprint, race seven.
Lutz as Fuhrer the leader coming up to the corner 450 metres to go by three quarters of a length to free of debt then came Oxley Road on the inside for the back generation hook to the outside next in the field Ashford Street Dragonstone over on the far side from Kalos but as Fuhrer kicked into gear 200 metres to go and she's two and a half legs in front of a wall chasing her but she's going great guns as Fuhrer from Kalos generation it's all as Fuhrer she trots in she won it two and a half Kalos second generation third from Ashford Street Dragonstone back behind the Moxley Road Express pass free of debt and Rock Artist has finished last of all a bit like Chain of Lightning, a mare with a great record. That's now five from seven. Henry Dwyer training and Joe McNeil riding and uh, went to the front. They couldn't run her down. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there was Kiwi trainers winning earlier in the day, Sydney jockeys, Sydney trainers. So it was, uh, it was a nice home ground win for the Melbourneites, wasn't it? Certainly was, as we turn our attention to the last race on the program. Poland under the whip, joined by Catalyst. Lady of Honor out wider. Open-minded is battling on. Aegon's coming through and Bandersnatch. A few hopes here at the 200. Aegon in front of Lady of Honor. Bandersnatch and Poland. Aegon at the 100. Lady of Honor and Bandersnatch the outside. Aegon and Bandersnatch. They hit it. Photo finish. Bandersnatch. Aegon in a photo from Lady of Honor. Then for fourth, Cinewan and Poland from Wild Planet. Open-minded, Regalo Di Gaetano. And Catalyst at the end of the field, a photo finish. Yes, it was a desperately tight game, but Aegon got the judges' nod for Andrew Forsman, who'd won early with Mr Maestro, and Blake Shin, the winning rider. Yeah, he's had some sort of Caulfield Cup uh, carnival. Blake Shin, three winners the uh, Saturday before, a uh, winner on, I think, three seconds there yesterday, so he is in white-hot form, copped a suspension out of yesterday, but, yeah, great uh, day for Andrew Forsman. Um, sadly, I was on the other former Kiwi now, trained by Mike Moroni, Catalyst, who was very, very bloody disappointing, I've got to say. But Aegon, uh, if you look back through the form, uh, you could have found Aegon, but mm. I didn't. Well, that often happens, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm cast today. Do you want to buy me breakfast after this? Nope. <laughs> Too late for breakfast. <laughs> One final replay from Caulfield on Cup Day. This is the listed Alingi. So it's Maliva and Shell Star who idles up on the outside. Shell Star gets her nose in front of Maliva. Then a very fine red limb picker, Nicolite and Melba Storm. Shell Star the leader, 200 metres to go. A very fine red in search of her. Shell Star, a very fine red stride for stride. It's going to be close. Photo finish. Nearly a dead heat between Shell Star, a very fine red, I'm not sure. Melba Storm, prominent for third, with also Libiamo with Maliva. Next to finish, Lem Picker, never standing still, in company with Gelgani, Nicolite, Kelkani Royale, was towards the end. Yes, a very fine red for Mark Newnham, and this was one horse that sort of was compelled to race near the inside, or the inside of all the other runners, but was still too good. She was very strong to the line. Yeah, considering that, I thought it was a terrific win. You just expected Shellstar just to just to sort of get the bob in there. Um, but, yeah, Mark Newnham certainly got something to work with here, and a nice day out for, for Josh Parr. I think this was uh, he rode two in a row. This, was, I think, was the first of them. Well, that was Caulfield Cup Day and Tab Everest Day at Royal Randwick. Next Saturday, it's Cox Plate Day. We've been waiting for this race for a long time. There's been some great lead-ups. Animo, of course, is the $2.10 favourite. And it's Spring Champion Stakes Day next Saturday. We saw the gloaming transferred to Warwick Farm on Wednesday and Sharp and Smart, the Kiwi, just got in there, but he's riding contention for next week. Right, yeah, I know we're running out of time. We've got to talk Brisbane, but who do you want to be on the Cox Plate? Uh... 
I'm not rushing into it. It's a bit, little bit like Nature Strip. Uh, I, I thought he would look the winner, but I wouldn't rush into back him. And it's the same sort of thing. Animo was outstanding the other day, but I don't know if there's that much between him and the others as the market is suggesting. There's a real mystery horse in this race, El Bodegon. Uh, first, yeah. first up, uh, the Sir Dragon A sort of path. First up into the Cox Plate. was trained by James Ferguson overseas, now with Chris Waller. Part owned by Noel Greenhow, our good friend in Brisbane. Absolute duck, and there is some rain uh, forecast at the end of the week in Melbourne. So, look, um, outside of Animo, uh, not convinced about Zaki. It's probably not the strongest cox plate of all time. So, yeah, be interesting. Oh, that's a that's a tough line. Well, it's not, is it? I think it is. I think it's a do very you? good cox plate. Well, do you think it's? A, I said it's probably not the strongest. Do you think it's the strongest cox plate of all time? Do you? No, but you. Well, that's what you, I said. But you. <laughs> But you wouldn't have seen all of the Cox Plates. Well, I'm 46 years old. I've seen quite yeah. a few of them. And I've seen 12 more than you. <laughs> Hang on. Maths. Let's be 58. Wowee. Yeah. Yeah. Am I invited to your 60th? When is it? Well, maths to you is not this year, mate. <laughs> Would I get an invite, do you reckon? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit non-committal this morning. <laughs> Let's go to Eagle Farm. And uh, we had a good day of racing there yesterday. Let's go to race nine. This was the St. Rita's Cup. A small field, but a very busy finish. Emerald Kingdom, third run back today, and the jock's got a strong grip on it. Comes to the turn, narrowly in the lead. Mass destruction, close enough if good enough, you'd say. Axe shifts off heels to come up three wide. F Troop sailing up four deep, last chance next, and Bullfinch in last position. Emerald Kingdom now headed off by Mass destruction. He goes for home, Axe is in hot pursuit, and down the outside is F Troop. Mass destruction can't get away from them. Axe is putting in a strong run. F Troop joining the pair. Last chance getting up on the inside. This is a great go. F Troop out wide. Last chance along the inside. F Troop. Too good. Beat last chance Axe and Emerald Kingdom. Then came Bullfinch. And would you believe it? Would you believe it? Mass Destruction. The favourites run last. Well, he actually ran second last, but he was disappointed. He had a good good run uh, on speed and he presented at the right time. He wasn't good enough. F Troop didn't do much in the Wheatwood, but certainly turned it around yesterday. And I don't think uh, many would have expected F Troop to come from last and win. Geez, a hard horse to catch, isn't he? I, I, I had a decent bet on him a few starts ago when the, the stable mate, Shamrock Lou, was truckloaded and turned him over. He just, I don't know, he's just one of those horses that just bobs up sometimes when you just don't expect it. And I think yesterday was one of those days. What did you make of Emerald Kingdom? Didn't go too badly. But, yeah. but, but I thought he had his chance. He had a pretty cushy run up front. Um, that was Ange Jones's second win there yesterday, a double, and um, couldn't claim in the race either. So uh, good uh, Bit of faith there by Tony Gollan to put uh, Ange on. Tony didn't have many runners yesterday, hardly any at all, but he was still able to win a race. He's, uh, I'm hearing he's in Sydney and obviously he's going down to Melbourne, so he's on a bit of a spring tour of Sydney and Melbourne, so I'm sure he's having a good time. Our final replay today, let's go to the, the fifth race, which was the three-year-old. They ran inside the 400 metres. Yellow Brick the leader. Under full pressure from Boom Court who's really putting it to Yellow Brick. And they're going stride for stride. They're matching their motors. If anything, Boom Court might have the head in front. Yellow Brick's in for the fight though. Clear of Honky Tonk Diva and a Seba. Yellow Brick the inside. Boom Court the outside. Yellow Brick regains the lead again. Pulling away. A double for Sears and Thompson. Too good. Yellow Brick. Beat home Boom Court of Brookhaven. Then a Seba. Soothsayer Honky Tonk Diva. And a minute away lost media. Yellow Brick uh, had a good run in front, was under siege, was under full pressure, but uh, to his credit, he fought well. He's by the mission. That was only his fourth start for his third win. And as we said on the broadcast, Tony and Matty see as a training double with Ben Thompson, a riding double, because Red Wave won the previous race for them. Yeah, and Red Wave um, was very nice. Um, I thought for Benny as well. Um, 
wonder what it'd be like tra- training with your daughter or your son. It'd be interesting dynamics, wouldn't it? I know there's a few of them around, but um, yeah, some interesting dinner conversations, I reckon. <laughs> For the performance of the day was was the win of Deep Rouge. A um, bit of background to this mare. She's, she'd arrived in Barry Lockwood's stables. I think it only had like two runs at Skoda Narromine and Barry produced her at Dubin over a year ago and she just got beaten, went for a break, produced her first up in a race at Ipswich. It was, it was an outstanding win. She ran fast time, then all of a sudden she disappeared again, but she lost her her, her hoof or her foot apparently. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a terrific comeback and it was a great little pick-me-up for Barry Lockwood who unfortunately had to deal with the death of one of his promising horses on race morning who, who broke his shoulder at track work. So it was, an, it was a nice little pick-me-up. So that was Brisbane Racing. One thing we should mention too, David, I think the future of Very Elegant is very, very much uh, in doubt after another pretty um, poor run. Uh, this time at Ascot, she only finished ninth. Uh, only beat a few runners home and the, the jockey and the trainer were questioned about the poor performance by stewards afterwards. So very, very much at the crossroads if she wasn't already. Yeah, I think um, you're spot on there. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us and he'll join me tomorrow morning on Press Room. I hope you can join me as well. Look forward to your company then when we discuss everything over the weekend and what's happening in the week ahead. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye.